1: Hi there,
2: it's me, Laura Wasser, the divorce attorney and the founder of It's Over Easy, the online divorce service. I've been practicing family law for over 20 years, and I've worked on thousands of divorces, shepherding people through what may be one of the most terrifying times in their lives. Along the way, I often have to remind people to lower their expectations. When dealing with matters of the heart, rules simply don't apply because all's fair in love and war. Open your heart, Fasten your seatbelts and let's go. Hi, everyone. It's me, Laura Wasser.
3: My name's Johnny Rains, and this is All's Fair. For those of you who don't know, the proverb that inspired the name of our show, All's Fair and Love and War, says a lot about the way people treat each other.
2: The 16th century proverb first caught my attention well before I became an attorney because it's often used to describe an emotionally fraught situation in which people did not follow the usual rules of behavior and instead, They do things which are out of character, and oftentimes they're considered unfair or extreme. And I mean, I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg, but I think this might be one of the things that kind of led me into the field of law where I practice family law, which is often kind of a euphemism for a divorce attorney. But I really dig watching how people behave and human nature and what I learn about it. And boy... Has the past few months been an eye-opener for how people handle shit, huh? I'll huh, say. Johnny?
3: <laughs> I'll say.
2: As an attorney, I often counsel clients not to expect normal behavior during divorce proceedings, but outside of family law, what expectations should people have with regard to the behavior of others?
3: Well, I think at the very minimum, people should expect to be treated like people, And at this particular moment, when we're seeing the most massive protest movement of all time, following the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and countless others before them, I think the country might be finally waking up to the fact that not everyone in the United States is even allowed to have expectations.
2: And people are not okay with that. I'm not okay with that. I feel like what we've seen going on, I mean, some of the things that have been the most maddening to me have been people's kind of... Surprise or doubt at what has been going on for so many years in this country. That's one of the things that really gets me. The fact that things are the way they are has always saddened me and frustrated me, and I will absolutely admit, I doubt that I've done enough about it. Um, But when I see other people saying like, do you really think so? Or what do you mean? Or all lives matter. That makes me angry.
3: People, I think, because we had... Barack Obama in the White House and Michelle Obama was such a great first lady that we live in this post-racial world, but if they've all woken up now. They realize that is not true.
2: And I don't know that everybody is going in the right direction about that not being true. I fear that what is going on right now may divide us further, and I'm not sure what to do about it, but it does scare the shit out of me. I will say this. We have to keep progressing. We have to keep evolving and improving, and we are at a crossroads. There is no going back.
3: True that. And guess who's not going back, girl? Kelly Chauvin. Mm -hmm. She's the wife of that now-fired police officer, Derek Chauvin, a.k.a. Dick Chauvin. Um, She's filed (laughs) for divorce and petitioned the court to allow her to revert to her maiden name. And by the way, she was a former beauty queen, Mrs. Minnesota 2018. Ah. Yes.
2: All right. Well, since she wants her old name back.
3: Absolutely. And their two houses.
2: And, and what do we know about her? I mean, she was with this guy for all this time. And I, is she divorcing him now because she's so sickened about what he's done? Or is she divorcing him now because she doesn't want to be associated with him, but she kind of knew who he was for all the time they were married?
3: I, w- I would imagine it's probably both. But in her statement that you know was covered by multiple outlets from CNN to People magazine, she said her heart is broken for Mr. Floyd's family and she has nothing but sympathy for them. And she asks that her own family and her parents, and I guess she had a couple kids from a previous marriage, um, that people understand that they had nothing to do with it and they want to distance themselves as much as possible from this uh, police officer who is now I guess he's the charge for murder in the third degree has been upgraded to murder in the second degree. And many people say it could have been premeditated because they might have known each other in a previous job.
2: Really? Interesting. And again, not only for Kelly, whatever her maiden name was, but for many people that are going through divorces during this time in lockdown, Uh, There was an article in theconversation.com, but I've actually seen it a few places, why we need French-style divorce for lockdown breakups. And you and I have spoken about this before, Johnny, the waiting period in many states in the U.S., but also countries in the world, for example, the U.K., which is what this article is based on, is an incredibly long period of time. And what they're talking about here is in the U.K. and Wales, if you... Have a non-contested divorce. You have to wait two years for it to go through. It's crazy. Fault, fault divorces, and we all kind of moved away from fault in the United States. California was one of the first states to do this long ago in the '70s. Fault divorces can go more quickly, but as we've also discussed, those can be really ugly and messy and difficult. So those aren't. That's not the the best solution either. I think people are really starting to. Get hip to the evolution of dissolution, look at it differently. They say the law is the last thing to change. And um, maybe in some other countries, it is changing as a result of demand and necessity.
3: Absolutely. In fact, in England, the divorce, dissolution, and separation bill has been introduced into the House of Commons. It's being debated right now. um, And that would reduce the amount of time that couples would have to wait to get divorced, and actually bring it down to about six months, similarly to what we have here in California.
2: Back here at home, the protest movement is what we're focused on now, and that, and moving forward without police brutality into a better tomorrow with awareness and justice for every person in this country. And to speak about this with us, I am thrilled to introduce you to a friend of mine who exemplifies the modern woman. She's a social activist, entrepreneur, she's the co-founder of two prolific beauty companies, And she's the author of The Bold World, a memoir of family and transformation. She's been lauded for her activist work by Hillary Clinton, The Advocate, Family Circle, Essence, Cosmo, and Yahoo, among others. She sits on the board of a number of gender, family, human rights organizations, including the Human Rights Campaign, and she was appointed by the United Nations as a champion of change and, perhaps most impressively, She's a former circus acrobat who performed in the Big Apple Circus. I didn't, that I did not know. I'm very anxious to talk to her about this. She lives in Brooklyn, New York, where she co-parents her five children with love, education, and family solidarity. Welcome to All's Fair, Jody Patterson. Let's talk a little bit about Jody. Another thing I didn't know about you is that you went to Convent of the Sacred Heart, an <laughs> All's Girls <laughs> School in New York, and then you went to Spelman College, an all-women's college in Atlanta. Wow, I
4: know. Well, you know, first of all, I love women. (laughs) I was raised (laughs) by a lot of women. I have three sisters. There are four girls in my family. Um, And so being around women and uh, learning with women and building with women is something that I'm really familiar with. Um, High school was in Manhattan on the Upper East Side, Convent of the Sacred Heart. Um, And then Spelman College is an HBCU in Atlanta. So in some ways, similar, but in some deep ways, very, very different.
2: Yes, very different. Mm-hmm. So at what point did you decide to run away and join the circus, Dodie?
4: <laughs>
3: yes, well, let's was, get right to it.
4: <laughs> I was a circus acrobat um, in the Big Apple Circus when it first opened, before it made its way to uh, Lincoln Center. I think we we're in some part of Brooklyn. I can't even remember. It was years ago. But I was a, um, a competitive gymnast. And, um, one summer, one of my coaches said, come with me, we're going to train with the circus. Um, that's training in Manhattan, come train. And so I did, I had a lot of fun. It was similar to gymnastics in in terms of like the way your body had to, um, be flexible and malleable and strong, but it had a lot more like fun (laughs) in it. Um, and so I just, I became a circus acrobat for two years. This was when I was really young, but I, I use a lot of that um, mental training still, mental flexibility.
2: And who were some of the other people? Like, to me, this sounds like a great, like, character study, which also prepared you for what goes on to happen in the rest of your life. A a total, like, ability to really find the, like, nuggets of wisdom and goodness in other human beings, which may not look like you or sound like you oh, or right. have grown up like you. I'm guessing there weren't too many graduates of the Sacred Heart at the circus. <laughs> Just thinking. No.
4: So we had acrobats and we had animal um, trainers and we had clowns. Um, I had my first make out <laughs> with another fellow acrobat. Oh, he was I was going to say, age. I
2: wanted he, it to be like the clown or something. He wasn't okay. the clown.
4: No, 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 He was like my, maybe a year older. He seemed very sophisticated. He, I think he was from the Bronx. Um, he was a part of a team called the Backstreet Flyers and we made out behind one of the circus tents <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it was so super duper, but you know, there were lots of different folks there from different backgrounds, um, different nationalities, different socioeconomic groups. And when you, if you've ever been, and this was a one ring circus. So everything is very tight and communal and everyone helped out. So we were really just a part of like a a circus family. It was kind of, it was kind of cool actually to be with sort of this roaming morphing family that changed every night. Right. But we somehow came together and this production for the audience and it all worked out. And then we broke down the tent at the end of the night and put the animals away.
2: It was cool. Was this before or after college? Before this is Before. The when I was at a, when I was a kid. Yeah. In between. Yeah. Oh my God, I love. And it. my
4: and my parents let me. You know, this was very much a part of their upbringing. We um, were forced to insisted upon that we would be in different communities. So we grew up on the Upper West Side in um, a neighborhood where we were the only Black folks. I, you know, I always tell this funny story. But um, um, Mick Jagger was our neighbor, and we this Black family got more stairs. And goggles than Mick Jagger did. They did not understand why we were there. And then I went to school on the Upper East Side. And then we were playing tennis in Harlem at a place called The Jungle, um, which was um, an open tennis courts right near the projects. My family really insisted that we go in all directions so that we were comfortable everywhere. And so them allowing me to be in the circus was a part of that, part of our upbringing.
2: That, that's very interesting, I, and I, I appreciate that a lot. As a parent, but also my parents gave me a lot of freedoms when I was younger, did things that other people would like. I took a year off and went to Switzerland, and then I took a year yeah. in between college, high school and college and lived in Australia, and they said, what are you doing there? And I was like, I'm drinking? I mean, I, you know, I, I <laughs> totally. like hitchhiked all up the eastern coast. Like, I really had a life, and I remember so many of my friends' parents saying to my parents, How could you just let her do that? And they said, we want her to like experience stuff, you know, more than just what she's doing in the public school system in Beverly Hills or what she would do at her, you know, liberal arts college that she's going to eventually go to. So I think that's really important. And I think it has for at least me, and I'm guessing you, because I know you, shaped the way that we parent and how we are able to allow our children to have their own experiences, even if it's different from ours or different from the norm
4: absolutely my my um i have five children and my 20 year old is a girl is a do- it's my daughter that's your only um, daughter right yeah the rest young are young boys woman. okay yes <laughs> the rest <laughs> are boys and she was um worked really hard to get into oberlin and uh, loved it but after her first semester she kind of crashed a bit she was exhausted she was overwhelmed you know there's a, a lot of pressure on on young women and i think she and she definitely felt it so she left and she came home And then she moved to Switzerland and she lives in Zurich now and she studies German. And she decided, and I honor that decision to do something different off grid. Um, not that studying in Switzerland, you know, studying in Switzerland might not seem radical to some people, but for my family, we are, um, African-American, um, and we believe, you know, a middle-class upper middle-class family. There's a lot of, um, to success, right? If you go, Education comes first. We, a lot of us went to HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities. Many of us have second degrees. Many of us went straight into this you know, um, accelerated, um, very traditional version of success. And my daughter said, well, I'm going to go left. I'm going to go to Switzerland and study German. <laughs> Not in the university, just in a language class. Um, so that was a very bold move. And that was something that I, I think I helped her and encouraged her to do and supported Because I know what it feels like to um, really just sort of release yourself from expectation and um, and untether. And so I, I, I try to raise, I try to be an untethered woman and raise untethered children. I love it.
2: Now, your bio says The Pattersons are a tribe of unapologetic Black matriarchs, scholars, financiers, Southern activists, artists, musicians, and disruptors. And then it talks about your relationship with Gil Scott Heron, who is, for the listeners who don't know, the poet and musician who composed and performed the 1971 song, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. And he dated your aunt? That's how we know him?
4: Well, they were a couple for and a family. We became a family um, for um, a lifetime. So he was like your uncle? he is my uncle. Yeah, okay. He's the yeah. father of my cousin. And my cousin runs his estate. And we have lots of memories of Gil at the table, <laughs> the dinner table and in the house um, on stage, of course. But so he was this prolific uh, revolutionary who used um, music and poetry to be to, to to be an activist. But we also saw him at in the house. Um, and it was a part of our again, a part of our natural family culture to be activists was one of the many in my family. He's probably one of the most well-known, but he's one of the many.
2: So, okay. So again, just kind of working through your bio, you then did stay kind of on that track once you left the circus and you got into the entrepreneurial stuff and you were doing, you were working with a PR company and then you started the cosmetic companies. Yes. hmm
4: Okay. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. So I was entrepreneur. I launched a PR company and then I worked in music and I worked with D'Angelo, the musician and other great musicians. Um, and then I married and my husband launched Joe's pub at the public theater and I became a co-owner of that and we did nightlife together. Um, and then I had some beauty companies and, and, uh, and now I'm here. Now life. you're
2: here. Let's talk about the bridge to that because really you are an advocate now. And did that start with Panel? Like tell about, tell that journey if you would. Yeah. Uh,
4: So I consciously became an activist um, when I realized that my third child was a boy. I thought I had birthed a girl and we named that child Penelope after Penelope's grandmother. And all of the other names, Penelope has like seven names and all of them are after like strong women in the family. (laughs) Um, And we were excited to have Penelope as a girl. And then about within the first year, Penelope became very angry, very disruptive, very sad, um, nightmares, reoccurring nightmares, nail biting, bedwetting, constant screaming. Um, and then also by the second year, Penelope became a bully. So pushing brothers, pushing um, friends at the playground, stomping around, making sure that we understood his well, the child's anger. that we understood Penelope's anger. We didn't. We thought, why is this Penelope so upset? We have everything. We have love. We have food. We have access. We've got stories at night. And so I tried to be a better mom and read more stories and hug Penelope more. And that the sadness intensified. So by almost age three, I finally just stopped trying to fix it. And I asked Penelope, what's wrong? Why are you so angry? and Penelope this was the ch- the two of us were in a room by ourselves and I just sat us on the floor and I said baby why are you so angry and Penelope um looked at me as if I had asked a million dollar question it was the first time I'd asked the question and Penelope opened up and said well mommy because everyone thinks I'm a girl and I'm not I'm a boy yeah. <laughs> so I took a deep breath I thought okay I thought I thought Penelope was gonna say I hate you you're the worst mom uh, but this, you know, I am a boy, surprised me. And so I immediately, from my perspective, thought I was dealing with a budding feminist, a little child who wants to be seen as tough, like the boys, and not, I thought maybe Penelope was um, realizing the differences in the way the world treats boys and girls. I thought maybe Penelope wanted to be on the side of tough boy. Um, I thought it was a choice that Penelope was opting out of girl and maybe wanted to be a Tom boy. So I said, however you feel on the inside is fine, baby. If you want to act like a boy, and if you feel like a boy, that's fine. I love you. And quickly Penelope corrected me and said, no, mom, I don't feel like a boy. I am a boy. So this was at three.
2: I was going to say at three that this child I am knows how to articulate and is in tune with these feelings. I mean, twofold. One, kudos to you and and your ex that, I mean, I don't know if it's nature or nurture or a little bit of both, but that you had this child that was able to say it. But two, oh my goodness, think about all of the families where either the child can articulate, cannot process that kind of information, and worse, if they can, and they're saying it to someone who does not hear or understand yeah. or accept. Anyway, okay, go ahead. Sorry. No, just I get, I get that a
4: lot. It, it, is, it is shocking for so many people that Penelope was so clear. It is shocking that I, for many people that I stopped and listened, and some people don't believe it. So in that moment, there are a couple of things that happened. I've had years to think back on this. One, I isolated us. It was just the two of us. So I didn't have to worry. You know, when people are looking at you as a mom, you're like, I better sh- I better do it right. Right. <laughs> I better right. say something smart. So, but it was just the two of us. So I had no one's eyes on me, just me and Penelope. So Penelope was coming to me in peace and I responded by just listening. So Penelope flooded the room with Penelope's thoughts. And I just listened for probably an hour or two. Um, and it still didn't make sense to me. I didn't just become a trans advocate in that moment. But what I knew is that I didn't, fully understand my kid. There was a gap between me and my kid. And that pissed me off that I had allowed a gap to be between me and my child. And so when I left that room, I knew nothing. I didn't understand much, but I had said to Penelope, I'm with you and I'm going to help you. And whatever that means, I'm going to do it. And so it became me and Penelope um, for the the next several years. Um, well, how first, how did me, the rest of the family, I mean, how did that all they work? They faded out. Literally, okay. this, is, this is the problem or this is the reality. When I went to, quote unquote, save my child, um, it took up so much energy that I, you know, and we are finite people. I'm not infinite. I'm finite energy. So almost everything else faded to the back. I have five children. So four other children <laughs> faded to the back of it, and luckily I have. Great and support. their dad their dad faded to the back a bit and they became a bit of a unit and Penelope and I became a bit of a unit now I never did you know look all homework got done bedtime stories I was 100% side by side with them physically but my mental focus was on Penelope and I know that now I dropped the ball in many ways um but that is the what it took what is it 10 years ago to defend my Black trans son's existence and to understand it and to define it and then to share it with the relatives and penetrate the Black community in Brooklyn and then, you know, make my way through the world celebrating my son. It took all my energy. Now it's a bit, um, there are more moms (laughs) that can do this together, more work that can be done together and that makes it a lot easier. But the beginning of my trans advocacy was soon after I realized that if I didn't become an advocate for my son, the family, not only would I lose Penelope, the family would implode and I would have failed as a mom. So it was a part of the survival, not only of Penelope, not only of myself, but of the entire family.
2: So he's 13 now? Yeah, he's turning 13. Give. I mean, we have not had this subject on our podcast before. Tell us a little bit about how it has been. Going through that early age transformation going through. Now we are at puberty, teenage. I mean, everything it, you've changed. Yeah. You've changed this world a lot, but just, I, I think people need to hear. I need to hear about it. What, yeah. what were the next steps? Okay. So he's three, this floods, everybody kind of fades to back and you yeah. now are, I mean, you're, you're going through the motions, but what, what does it mean for you? How do you talk to the school? How do you talk to the relatives? How do you talk to the black community of, friends who probably are super liberal and and intelligent however, they've never encountered anything like this before and I'm sure yeah. plenty of them said it's a phase she's mm-hmm. three let her wear boy clothes she'll grow out of it so h- and how did you know you were doing the right thing Jody how did you know it wasn't a phase
4: yeah. they're everything answer you said. everything <laughs> <laughs> right right everything you said is one hundred percent accurate so I step outside of the room after Penelope says I am uh, a boy, and I realize that I need to hold this and protect this. I need a minute
2: <laughs> to process. Uh, you know.
4: Yeah, and to, yeah, to process it because a game of telephone by the time it hits third person is distorted information. So I almost walked out of that room and I downplayed it. And I said to Dad, "Yeah, Penelope wants uh, wants to be a boy." It's an un- it was an untruth, but I I used that to give Penelope and me some time. And that was probably a really smart thing to do in retrospect because I then did the first step of informing myself. 10,000 hours, like Malcolm Gladwell says, to become an expert. And I did 10,000 hours in my kids. 10,000 hours of researching what it means to be trans. 10,000 hours of doctor's research. 10,000 hours of observing my son just every minute of his life. 10,000 hours of listening to my language 10. Now I did 10,000. Of course, the average person can spend 10 minutes with Penelope now and get it. He's natural. He's human. He's happy. But I did the 10,000 hours because I wanted to be really sure that I was of what I was dealing with. And so after I did the research, I put all that information in my pocket and then I just led with love because who wants to carry all that data when you're dealing with your kids? Um, And I started slowly but surely uh, initiating the family. So we wrote a letter and explained that Penelope was a boy, that we support him and that we want the support of the family. And Penelope and I and dad edited the letter and we hand wrote them and sent them out to family. We then sent that same letter to the school. If you cannot accept Penelope, we hope you accept Penelope. We hope you stand with us. If you can't, we'll leave the school. We'll leave the karate class. We'll leave oh, everything. This was, this was
2: pre- <laughs> preschool at the time, yes?
4: Yeah, this was preschool.
2: And there, there's school. two other, you have two younger than him.
4: I have one we- younger, one older. There's a threesome right there that's ah, okay. Got close it. close in age. yeah, Got it. Okay. And so we, one at a time, went to family members And we are a close family. We never stopped having Thanksgiving or Christmas or birthdays together. So every moment we gathered as a family, I made a new, I took it as a learning moment. Penelope came in the boys' clothing that Penelope wanted to wear. Penelope had a haircut. I started using he. I said the word transgender really loudly (laughs) every chance I could get with the family around. So it was a verbal initiation, a visual initiation. Um, day after day with a select group for family, then school, then karate classes. Um, So this takes years. We did not see transformation in a second. But when, and my dad taught me this, he he taught me, walk into every room like you own the joint, (laughs) he would say. So if you go to Harlem, walk in like you own the joint. If you go to the Upper East Side, walk in like you own the joint. Where Because you belong in every space. So that's how Penelope and I did it. We just, I would walk 10 steps ahead of Penelope and we just walked with our head up, even though we wanted to cry most of the time. (laughs) Um, And that's how we made it. We made it, we penetrated many communities, I have to say. We did lose some friends or some people. We did lose a few, but I was glad to know that they weren't supportive and then we just never saw them again.
2: (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's easy at that point. There's no question.
0: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect.
2: When did you decide to write the book? This is Mm -hmm. after I had been, yeah, during after.
4: uh, During the the hump of it. I'm sorry, after the hump of, it. I had gotten through most of the hard hard work, and the um, the insecurity of it. You know, as a mom, when you're raising a child who's different, you think is so different. It is, um, you you feel insecure. You feel ill-equipped to raise this child. I wouldn't say that now. Now I have an understanding that everything I learned about being a black woman, everything I learned about um, civil rights is applied right now in this moment to trans rights. They're not separate in, in a sense. Rights are rights, equality, liberation, liberty, freedom. They're all the same for everyone. No caveats. So I thought at the time I was very insecure, but you asked why I wrote the book. It was in conjunction with selling my beauty company. I had a I, I got a I got a lucky break. I sold my company to a larger beauty company, and had a summer to rest. A summer just to you know not do much. I didn't make a lot of money off of the sale, but I, I was going to say
2: like- I doubt you
4: ever rested. But
2: okay, fair well, enough.
4: I had I had summer. Jody summer, and rest like, don't go
2: in the same category. Okay, so during your relaxing, restful post-sale of beauty much. company summer,
4: you knocked out <laughs> the bold world. I knocked out a a um halfway decent proposal in in the summer during the two months, and then I took that proposal and shopped it around um with like just one hundred percent like effort behind it. And I landed a good agent and then I resold it to Random house
2: and I highly recommend this book. It's been on one of our all's Fair or podcast uh, recommendations. It is the Bold World, A Memory of Family and Transformation. And it, again, as a parent reading it, as a as a family member, as a woman, it's so fucking good. It's so <laughs> worth it. Um, I know, at least for myself, and I think I speak for a lot of other people right now, there's so much uncertainty. There's so much provocative stuff going on out there. And we're thinking this is such a great place to kind of pour that, read it. Process it, yeah. let it marinate. So I highly recommend it, listeners. Um, and it was very, very well received. Your book, correct? I mean,
4: it, it was. I mean, you know, writing a book is hard work, and then and then having people read the book <laughs> is hard work. But um, Alice Walker gave me a beautiful review, and um, I put that right on the cover. Yes. <laughs> um, but you know, be- beyond Alice Walker and the famous people like um, Elaine Welterock and uh, Mara Keel and Janet Mock. And jazz and beyond the folks that might that some people might know and think as famous folks, moms and dads, and kids who are trans, and parents of autistic children and um, soon-to-be parents. Across the board, I had such great responses from people who really took the time to write letters to me um, and just thank me for telling a story of a woman, me who had to change, who found a way to shift for something bigger than herself. And I think a lot of women want to know how to do that because we are either raising children or parents or a community. Um, we're asked to do so much for our companies and our businesses. We need to understand shift. Um, cause at this point we're looking at who's going to make the difference. And we see that it's moms, women, um, you know, leaders of communities. And so I have a lot of people say thank you. Thank you for showing me how to shift. You know.
2: How how do you shift? And I know it's not a one sentence answer, but give us something because I what mm-hmm. you said particularly about autistic moms and parents, but moms particularly. I've oh, the mm-hmm. same kind of stuff that Penelope was exhibiting when he was 1, 2, those same things and it's as a parent this idea of what you're what your parent-child relationship is going to be, what your child is going to be, whether you're a first parent, first-time parent, or mm-hmm. a second or third-time parent, this totally rocks your world. So, how does, does one shift? How? Give us a couple of pointers or something that w- that people going through this can remember. Because when we start talking yeah. about the Black Lives Matter stuff, it's all mm-hmm. going to come together. So,
4: tell us, how does one shift? Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, it's um. Shifting, there, there are so many components to it, but one of the things I think is really important to think about is flexibility. So going back to the circus, going back to uh, my days in gymnastics, flexibility on a physical level is linked to flexibility on a mental level. So all of this that we're dealing with now, whether it's Black Lives Matter or Trans Lives Matter or LGBT rights or civil rights or women's rights, or we have to be mentally flexible. Because where we are today is not where we need to be tomorrow. So this is mostly about, um, you know, the the idea of us being being human and having humanity and loving everyone around us requires mental flexibility. So what I do to be mentally flexible (laughs) is, um, and this is how we can shift. One, we have to um, learn to untether. So, I talked about being an, a woman who was untethered or someone who's trying to be untethered. That requires us to release, cut the ties from the things that define us, not forever, but for a moment. For me, it was children, husband. I had to cut those ties. Right. And sometimes we uh, untether out of uh, circumstances that are beyond us. So like COVID has has demanded that we untether from some of our Um, normal rituals, habits, people. Uh, Divorce will insist that we untether from our children for a week, um, from our exes, from um, the comfort of our home, right? Death will make you untether. So there are forces that untether you, but sometimes you can do it intentionally. So I actually walk away from my children. I send them back. They send them to dads. For now, we're up to a month at a time. I used to not be able to leave my children. Now we separate for a month at a time. And during that time, I do things like have sex on the kitchen table. (laughs) Literally. Um, (laughs) Whoa, that was (laughs) unexpected. No, it wasn't. (laughs) But but you got to tell the truth. I'm talking like women are so tightly, my morals and my mothering and my organization and my rituals are so tightly attached to my family that having sex on the kitchen table was radical. So I had to do that. I had to I to change. I, sometimes I read a book and, and and don't eat dinner when my kids go. Sometimes I uh, go to a movie and tell no one where I am. That feels radical to me as a mother of five. No one knows where I am. I, I could be on Mars, but I'm at BAM watching a movie, right? So these you know untethering for each woman is different. Different for me, it's listening to the most brazen hip hop and imagining myself through. Lil' Kim's eyes or um, Drake's eyes, like, you know, bravado on level 200. For me, that's untethering. And then that, when you learn to untether, when you come back to the things that you love, your children, um, your rituals, you have a creativity, you have an imagination, you have a problem solving ability that's beyond what you started with. I can't tell you the scientific way it happens, but what I've noticed is when I untether, I experience new things and then those experiences come back and they shake the way I parent. So w- the first thing I talk about when I talk to parents who, learn, who are trying to learn to do something, to raise a child that they might not understand, untether, walk away first. Walk away, read a book that has nothing to do with autism or transgender or children. Untether, that's the first step. Another, I mean, there's probably 10 or 15 steps that I've outlined, but I'll give you one other one. My goal is to raise activists. So when we look at, you know, our child who might be different from the way we are, we have to think about raising an activist. So not a pretty girl, but a powerful girl. Not um, a handsome boy, but a boy who's going to make a difference in this world. Raise activists. And when you start with that premise, then the The strangeness to your child, the difference in your child becomes something you fight for because we're looking to raise them as activists. So, study who the activists are. You know, you might not be be Maya Angelou, you might not be um, Toni Morrison or Sada Shakur or Gil Scott heron These are activists that I look up to. But when you study them, study some of the activists, then you start raising your child to some of the philosophies of activism like self determination, I determine who I am, you know, unity. Find your family, find your crew and stay strong. And um, when you start raising your children with the, the principles of activism, you can rally behind them, whether it's autism or being trans or being, you know, non-binary or being black. or it, What I used to think was really hard to do when I started thinking like an activist, it became like this challenge. <laughs> like, oh, I can do that. I'll show you I can do this. I did it. And now I'm going to do it even better. So every day is like a is like a charge for me. So yeah, that's two things: untether and raise activists.
2: How do you teach your children, all of them, the ones that 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 we want to raise as activists, to deal with the hurt or the pain? Because that's activists do come up against that, and certainly Pinnell yeah. will come up against that. But all of our children will, especially if they're different, and especially if they're going to be activists. How, as a parent, can we help them to deal with that? Because I think a lot of us protect our kids so much, and one of the most painful things for us is having them feel pain.
4: How do we yeah. teach them? Part of my parenting is um, monitoring, right? So it's like like dose and environment. It's like it's like COVID, right? <laughs> We've been hearing a lot about dose and environment. So when you're dealing with viruses, what comes? What's important is dose and environment. Racism is a is a is a virus. Uh, transphobia, the virus. And so you understand dose and environment. So when I say that, the, when I talk to my children about the injustices of the world, I don't lie, but I give them a a small dose about it, of it. So we give them the truth, but we give them a small bite of it. And then I do it. I give it to them in the right environment at the dinner table when we're all together, which is safe Um, at the park when we're having fun and we're doing something with our bodies, which is you know, they can process the the anxiety out at the basketball court. So, dose an environment. Give your kids the truth. Give them it. Give it to them in small doses, and create the right environment for them to feel safe. I also make sure that my kids, being black, and some of them are queer, um, that they don't internalize this. So, you know, this is about how other people have a warped construction of the world, and other people have Um, dangerous minds, and other people have um, hearts that are not as full, and other people. So we talk about how other folks, what other folks are going through, and this is, I never place it on Penelope, this is about you. I never place it on my Black children, this is about you. What we're experiencing is something created by folks out there, other folks, not not us. Um, We are going to deal with it the best way we know how to, but many times we're going to walk away from it. We're going to close our door um, to racism, to transphobia, and live our lives as um, very full and fulfilled people. So a lot of the protection we need to give our children is um, an insulation. We insulate um, and we fortify. So much of the work I do is, a small amount of the work I do is giving them the reality of life, but more of the work that I'm doing is um, fortifying them from the inside. So they can handle the truth because they are already fortified kids. Um, And so with people, you know and parents need a best way to approach this I think small doses um, of truth but the, the bigger work is Fortifying your children letting them know that even as children even as small people They have a power in them You know to survive and to thrive That's the hard that's the hard work.
2: No, I get it. I and I love the way you put it. I mean And to use the virus analogy, as a result of having those small doses, we get stronger and we build up an immunity to it. I mean, and it doesn't, it can't make us sick, in other words. I really like that a lot.
0: This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family and your future.
2: I'm Laura Wasser, and this is the It's Over Easy podcast All's Fair with Laura Wasser on iHeartRadio. I believe in the law and access to justice for everyone. Life is messy enough, but divorce doesn't have to be. We call this the evolution of dissolution, and it's one of the main reasons we created the online divorce service It's Over Easy. We've been speaking today with advocate, author, businesswoman, and mother of five, Jody Patterson, about life in 2020.
3: Jody, last weekend on CNN, former Republican Secretary of State Colin Powell called out Republican lawmakers for largely staying silent on Trump's response to the national unrest. What are your thoughts on the response of our leaders to what's happening in America right now?
4: You know, there were many years when I stayed away from politics. Many years. I thought politics would uh, interfere with my parenting. It was just too much, you know, back and forth and. Show that interfered with the real work of families like mine, getting food on the table, homework, loving your kids, and so I stayed away. From, I voted every every time, but I, I I didn't invest in politics. Fast forward many years, and I find my I, ironically, I am the chair of the board of the Human Rights Campaign Foundation, which is our largest LGBT organization. Right, we do political work, we uh, lobby, we help um, pro equality. Um, candidates be, become elected and we hopefully keep the ones that are not pro-equality Off the shelf <laughs> um, And so we do political work, but we also do uh, day-to-day community work So I now find myself in a political conversation But I do think that and, and, and there there are laws that need to be changed and there are Policies that need to be torn apart Because I think what needs to happen and we're seeing this in our homes the law has to catch up to where the heart is right now. Um, and anyone who's holding that back is fighting up against a tsunami. I mean, the politicians who are um, not acknowledging that families have shifted. In every family, there is a of-color story. In every family, there is a trans or gender non-conforming story. In every family, there is a an immigrant story, an abortion story, right? These are realities of every American family. And so for politicians to deny the uh, the rights of family members and loved ones, it won't last. So when I look at the responses, um, for example, the human rights campaign signed a letter uh, with over 100 other LGBT organizations for Black Lives Matter. We have to now start looking at the and connecting the dots across coalitions. So that our politicians understand, this is not one community. This is every family in every community on some level. <laughs> so I don't know if I've answered your question. You have but, to a certain extent, yeah. but I want I want
2: to keep talking about it because what do we do about the families that refuse to acknowledge that are still hiding that that don't have the kind of immunity that we've coming about out. before? It's coming well, out. Look,
4: look at the kids on on, on TikTok and Instagram. That are that are screaming in their bedrooms that their parents are racist, that are, are spray painting on their lawns and chalking up their driveways "Black Lives Matter" and saying, "When my mom comes home, I'm going to get smacked, but I don't care because you don't have to be racist if your mom and your dad are racist." So change has hit. The best line is, "This is the last generation you fucked with." <laughs> <laughs> that is a good line, right? So, like you know. There's a lot of um, momentum within the family, and that will insist on uh, change. But I, I, you know, there's also a lot of cover up. There's also a lot of lying, and that's one of the things as parents we have to do. We have to, if you are a parent who wants change, we have to insist. We have to resist the temptation to lie, mm-hmm. which is really difficult because when it when we as parents are confronted with the question, well, why does this exist, mom? We don't want to be held accountable, especially white women. They don't want to be held accountable to their children for all this shit in the world. And so we, we lie. We make up a lie around race. We make up a lie around prejudice. And so, so that it doesn't sound as bad as it is um, because it's hard to talk about the truth of racism, that every white person benefits from it and every cisgender person benefits from it right? So, but we have to talk about that. I break down the lie with my family.
2: I wanted to quote you from your Instagram post last week. Jody says, I'm calling on all my white friends, my non-black friends to pull up, do something, say something to your children, your friends, your coworkers, talk about what is wrong and what you will do to make this right. Donate, march, speak, write, change. I love that. I mean, and it does it gives us enough options i mean do them yeah. all but do something and and i night. and i think you know there's probably a lot of people out there marching cuz they may just want to see other people again mm-hmm. but when they get home to the dinner table they're lying or they're not saying yeah. anything or yeah. and, and you know and and that that is i think what needs to be discussed and how do we do it and how do we talk about it and how do we make it not something that's so scary to discuss something that is actually part of our dinner Mm -hmm. table conversation with our children so that when they do feel that pain or witness it happening to somebody else, Mm -hmm. a, they have the kind of virus immunity that we talked about a little bit ago. (laughs) And B, they don't just, this is what I fear for my kids because they're white boys, they're blonde. I don't even think people know they're Jewish. And I remember when I was a kid, not speaking up, not speaking up for myself and also not speaking up for friends because I didn't I didn't want to get in the fray. I didn't want to rock the boat. I want my children to be those activists. I want yeah. them to be able to say, not just because they can pass, but because they know mm-hmm. what they're seeing is not the way we conduct ourselves in this world. How do we have those conversations? So mothers
4: are are required to be a couple of steps ahead of our kids. For, for many years, right? And we pride ourselves on that, um, sh- teaching our children things that they will eventually outmaster us at. You know, the jungle, gym, the monkey bars. My daughter, by the time she was three, she outmastered me, but I introduced it to her. I showed her that I could be fun on the jungle gym, right? And I, we didn't have to be afraid to swing on the jungle gym bars. So we're required to be two steps ahead of our kids when they're young. And then at a certain point, we uh, take a back seat. And I don't think anything great happens in the backseat personally, right? I want to drive and that might not be everyone's approach, but I want to drive. Um, And so I I say, you know, use the questions that your kids are asking and just try to be the smartest chick in the room. (laughs) I almost said the wrong word. (laughs) Um, The smartest woman in the room, right? Because Because you're the leader of your family you are a leader and like we can't be leading with a bunch of bullshit. So here's a, here's a, a tangible way of, of putting it. I had a conversation with someone yesterday, black woman. She walks into, I think a gym and she, this is pre COVID. She walks into the gym and um, is standing in a section that most people don't stand in, in the gym. It's like a, I don't know, it's considered a VIP section. I don't know why. It was an area in the gym where most people don't go. And a little white girl said to her white mother, Why does she get to be there, Mama? Is she staff? And the mom says, Well, why would you ask if if she's staff? Is it because she's wearing a badge? That was the mom's response. Now, my friend wasn't wearing a badge. (laughs) She didn't look like staff. She just looked like a black woman. And the child was curious Is she staff? Right? So that, and the mom, uncomfortable all eyes were on her and she started to make up a bullshit excuse about maybe it's because she's wearing a badge i understand the mom's concern she doesn't want to seem like she raised a child who is prejudiced however we raise, we are we are full of bias and we raise children based on our bias so learning moment she could have said as a mom and she could pull her child to the side and speak to her so she's not feeling embarrassed this is not about showing to the world how you handle things it's about the communication with your child the conversation could have turned and the mom could have said, um, Why do you think that she's staff? Um, is it because of her skin color? Do we mostly see people of her skin color in our home working for us? Do we mostly see people in restaurants of that skin color? She should investigate why and pull up some real facts. A lot of times, white people only interact with people of color who are working for them. Most of the galas I go to, when 90% of the folks are wealthy and white, 100% of the staff waiting on us are dark skinned. So the reality that this child is bringing up is real. Um in in many ways. But then we have to deconstruct it and talk about the truth, not pretend like it doesn't exist. The question didn't come out of thin air. So it's a it's tough for parents to deal with it, but it is a moment that we need to teach our children that they actually, because the mom was telling the child, your instincts are wrong and that's not good. Right. We should use that as an opportunity to say what you are noticing actually is tied to racism, actually is tied to oppression, actually is tied to um, injustice and we have to talk about it or what you are. So not not necessarily what you're noticing, but if if the mother had said what you are Speaking about and feeling and what you are picking up on um is tied to the injustices of this world so as opposed to pretending like bias doesn't exist right and the fact that this child has never does not see most people in her apparently this child sees most people in her world who are brown <laughs> as workers as staff right as staff right so that's that's a learning moment and i think as parents we have to go deep in those moments but i would advise moms to create an environment where they don't feel on display when they're teaching their children. Cause that's, well, that's when the a very mistakes good happen. point.
2: I've definitely seen that. And I've been that before where you want to, you're talking more to the other people in the room than you are <laughs> to the actual person who asked you the question and who you fucking actually care about what their opinion is or should totally. be. Totally. Um, totally. Let's talk about, what I'm guessing people do not realize is a bigger part of the population than we imagine, which is, which is black transgender individuals. Cause I, mm-hmm. I mean, when you look at those, like the Venn diagrams and everything, so yeah. you're there, Panel's there. Why yeah. are those guys more at risk than others? If it's not an obvious answer, but talk to us a mm-hmm. little bit about that. Cause that's your
4: specific, you know. So there are millions of trans people, millions <laughs> um, to not, See them is because you've decided not to see them. To not see them is because the environment that we that you live in um, has erased people, and I don't mean that violently. I just mean that factually. If there are millions of trans folks, and the fact that we don't see them or haven't seen them at some point is just a reflection of our blind spot. So I just want to put that out there first. Um, And then, why are, are are trans folks at risk? the question i i would i'd flip that question and i would ask why do cisgender people insist on being violent to transgender and gender non-conforming folks i'd ask why are the 300 deaths 300 plus deaths globally of trans people in 2019 why were most of those perpetrated by cisgender people so there's violence from cisgender folks against transgender folks. I'm cisgender, cis meaning um, folks whose identities reflect how people see them. So people think of me as a woman and I see myself as a woman. Transgender is someone whose identity is, uh, is, is not the same as how people see them. Penelope, I thought was a girl because of Penelope's anatomy. Penelope sees himself as a boy, that is trans, just for clarification. So as a cisgender person, I know that most of the violence against trans folks Is by folks like myself, transgender folks. So when you talk, when you ask the question of why is that? Because we uh, have grown up with this understanding that if we don't understand something, get rid of it, right? Because it gets it, it gets in the way of productivity, right? And as Americans, we are productive. We make great decisions and efficient decisions, so we can get good grades and go through life and get a good job and make money there's an efficiency to our life and if there's something in our way that we don't understand instead of understanding it and spending 10,000 hours getting to know it we erase it and then erasure becomes um violent so that's you know a very brief take on othering right we make other the people that we don't understand um dangerous to us in our minds
2: have you read the what's going on over the past i'd say 48 hours the jk rowling tweet. Mm -hmm. What's your take on that? I mean, I, I, I was surprised that that took on the kind of speed that it did. And I get what she's saying about how she didn't mean that, but I do think kind of like, know your audience, pick your timing lady. I mean, it was just really, but, but as the mother of a transgender person, tell me a little bit about that.
4: So that I guess, uh, you know the i get i i tend not to dwell too much in some of these but i know that she made a mistake she made some some language that was um offensive and then just did not even backtrack she, she kept insisting she on cloud ahead the exactly yeah <laughs> so yeah you know, i think that again it's like we don't well she was wrong she didn't want to say she was wrong um, and most of us, many of us in our 40s and 50s need someone young to tell us our language is wrong. Um, my I, my children, my 20-year-old now did it for me for a couple of years. Every time I opened my, my mouth, she would say, oh, that's offensive. Oh, you may not say that again, mom. Oh please correct yourself. I
2: would just like to say, I am very pleased to hear that that happens to you as well. I kind of Uh, thought you were above that, (laughs) but now, you know, my idol that's getting schooled too. now, what do you say to the people that say, but how, but what do we say to the people that are listening that say, why does a 20 year old get to tell me what I'm supposed to say and what's politically correct? And what, I mean,
4: sure. I could tell my 20 year old just to, 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 you know, to shut her mouth. If I thought that that was, I could do that. And sometimes I feel like that. Sometimes I feel like saying, hush your mouth, <laughs> okay? Because they are so mouthy and so talkative, my kids. And that comes with raising activists. It just comes with the territory. So that's one thing. If you're really committed to raising kids who are going to change and change and go up against bosses that might try to bully them and go up against governments that might try to bully them and policy and corporations, they need to be mouthy. They need to learn how to use their mouth um, to say what is on their mind, right? So I'm training her, as she's training me. She's training me to to bend with the times, and I'm training her because the first few years of being 20, 21, 22, it's you sound obnoxious, right? But by the time she's 30, she's maybe if she was saying the, it in German,
2: it wouldn't sound so bad. Right? I don't know. No, it probably
4: sound worse. <laughs> worse. Um, but 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 she, by the time she's 30, she will have the eloquence of a seasoned um, activist, right? So, yeah, it's really, it's really a pain in the ass to listen to my kids all the time, but I do. Also, I found you can either be right or you can be with the ones you love.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> so, like, go figure. If I just kept saying no to my mouthy kids, I would be on an island by myself. Yeah, and this no. is why the fact that families are shifting internally matters most because at a certain point, the few people in the family that are like, you know, we're not budging. They're going to be on their own and they're right. going They're going to be they're
2: going to be asked to leave the island actually to a <laughs> yeah. different island. Absolutely true and it's funny there's a there's a marriage therapy kind of a book that says, "Do you want to be right or do you want to be married?" And it's the same thing. Do you want to be right, right or do you want to be in this family? Right. Love that. And we have to
4: make those decisions and sometimes, you know, the which which is great. Like it's this is another reason why when we, we it's really important to accept our children. And listen to them when they're young. Because the empathy that we have for our children far exceeds the empathy that we have for adults. (laughs) So we will make a shift for our children. And I have made a shift for my child where I was unable to for my ex-husband. So that's like, I'm not perfect. (laughs) I would like to be, but my shift was much easier for my three-year-old than it was for my 45-year-old plus husband who's now my ex-husband, and that's a shame in in a sense, you know, that adults can't shift in the same way for each other. But if we're going to save anything, start with our kids, because that's where the empathy is and the the compassion. I mean, I tell you, if you saw Penelope, it would take you 10 seconds to love him.
2: (laughs) I've I've seen him, not in person, but yes, I (laughs) believe that that is the case. Because I know our listeners may ask, what stage in all of this did you and your ex split?
4: Oh gosh. It's like, um, you know, what came first? I don't even know when we split. We started, you mean technically? Yeah. Like when did we, um, well, I'll say this. my ex and I did not split over Penelope. Right. Right. So we always had love. We've always maintained the family. We have never said, um, we've never walked away, uh, from Penelope. But what we did have was a intense, um, burden on us trying to shift the world trying to be a family that embraced its differences that was an enormous burden and he's african from ghana i'm black american we have a trans son we have a gender i have a gender career daughter um his mother is white his father is african so we are we speak five languages right um there's a lot going on in our our family and so that burden. Of being a non conforming family is real. That took a toll. We also just drifted apart. As I became more aware of Penelope, I became more aware of myself. And I not only asked my son to be proud of who he was and to stand up for himself, I then took on this, well, if Penelope is free, I want to be free attitude. And if I'm asking my son to be bold, I need to be bold, too. So by the time, you know, Penelope was uh, 10, <laughs> I was a different woman. Mm-hmm. So that marriage could not have lasted <laughs> mm-hmm. much longer. And, you know, I think many people were like, well, we want the old Jody, We want that woman. Ten too years bad. Ago, she's she's too gone. Too bad. She's left the building. <laughs> <laughs> she's gone. Yeah. So I think that the, the, the separation um, was finalized when Penelope was maybe... Nine. Yeah. Okay. And Penelty's now going on 13 or 12. The numbers get confusing <laughs> when you are It's kind of like altitude. the days
2: during COVID. I get it. <laughs>
4: totally. All right, So
2: we do this thing on All's Fair called the interrogatory. So they're like discovery in law. And I'm mm-hmm. wondering if you'll play with us. Yes. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth?
4: <laughs> I always do. Okay. My girl. <laughs>
2: Which relationship in your life has had the most profound impact? The Oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> hmm.
4: Wait, is, are we talking about sexual relationships? No. No, any oh, relationship. Profound. Yes. She did say yes. profound. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, which relationship has the most profound? Okay. Well, I'm going to say this. Um, the, and I'm going to give you three. <laughs> and I'm going to lump a lot into three relationships. The relationship I had with my actively black family raising Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. And I say actively Black because we were activists, right? So my actively Black family was uh, one relationship. My second were the marriages and the divorces of my husband, Mm -hmm. knowing when to come and when to go, shaped me, made me the woman I am today, both of those men. (laughs) And then the making and the growing and the raising of my children. So those are like the relate, those are relationships that are about, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I can't, I can't give you A1 A, A relationship, but I'd say the family, actively Black, the um, love making and leaving, <laughs> and then the raising of children.
2: That, that's profound, don't you think, Johnny? That'll
4: work. I agree, yes, yes. absolutely. <laughs> All right. What is your favorite love song? Oh, gosh. So I have so many, but the recent one that I've been playing over and over again is Be Real Black for Me. By uh, Roberta Flack. Okay. And Donnie Hathaway.
2: Okay. It's my anthem right now. What is a piece of advice that you'd share with your 20 something year old self?
4: Be easy. Enjoy sex. Lead your family.
2: And we know you prefer gut wrenching dramas over rom coms. So (laughs) usually we ask about rom coms, but just tell us which soul grinding drama could you watch on repeat, Jody?
4: Oh, gosh. Now, I, okay. Um, now all you can think uh, of is the rom-coms, huh? I know. <laughs> I know. Well, you know the funny thing is I don't watch a lot of, of movies. Um, okay. Gut-wrenching. Well, I'm a sucker for Legends of the Fall with Brad Pitt and early Brad Pitt. It has this family saga, intertwined love story where, you know, some people just, like Brad, he just leaves the family and goes off on the sea. Because he has to figure life out on his own, Um, and then you know, people die. (laughs) People, you know, are victorious. It's just an amazing story. I did. I gotta
2: say, this is. I did not see this coming at all. Legends of the Fall with Brad Pitt. Yeah. From everything that we've heard in this interview, are are you? Do you have some
4: kind of a kickback from
2: stars or something? What is happening right now? Well, so this is the
4: thing. (laughs) I go off topic in my um, reading and Mm -hmm. in my. Consumption of like media, mm-hmm. so like although I'm very tuned into um, black culture and trans and LGBT um, culture right now, one of the books that I'm reading is this book called Couples That Work, which is about people, two people. You know, it's a study of of, of husbands and wives who have strong careers and strong drives and how they work together as a couple. Um, I'm also reading Difficult Women by Roxane Gay. I'm also reading James Baldwin, The C- Cross of Redemption. I just have a lot of different references and somehow they all feed into how I raise my kids. I <laughs> think I'll it's fantastic.
2: I yeah. applaud you, lady. You, This is one of the best interviews we've done. <laughs> I am so happy that you agreed to do this. I am so happy that we've reconnected. I Love what you have talked to us about in terms of raising activists. I love what you have talked to us about in terms of of shifting and untethering and being mentally flexible. I am going to take so many of your words and lessons with me into this oh, next week. You. And um, thank you for, thanks for being here. You
4: fucking rock, man. Thank you. Yes. And I love what you do because as you know, I've been married and divorced twice and that is a process of detachment that is not easy. Most people, it gets so messy. But this idea that uh, shifting from one reality to the next is something that happens, and we might as well be ready for it and prepared for it and shift easier. So I love what you do. Shift thank easier. You. Thank yeah, you. Thank-
2: shift easier. Become untethered, not unhinged. I like it. <laughs> I'm going to get you a T-shirt. Jody. thank you for joining us today. We're grateful for your enlightenment. Please tell people where they can find you online, and also where people can go to donate to the causes we've discussed today.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: So my um, my Instagram is at Jody Patterson, J O D I E P A T T E R S O N, and that's where I'm usually found. That's where I'm usually the most busy on Instagram at Jody Patterson. My book is called The Bold World, and you can buy it um, through Amazon, through Barnes and Noble. You can listen to it on audiobook, my voice. Um, and you can also visit me on my website, jodypatterson.com. Two organizations that I work closely with that I think are worthy of, of investigating and perhaps donating to one is a local New York based organization called the Ackerman Institute's Gender and Family Project. And we um, have peer groups for gender nonconforming children, and we also do training um, for organizations that need to understand gender nonconformity. And then the other organization, which is a national organization, is the Human Rights Campaign. And your donations would then go to our 11 programs that hit um, HBCUs and faith based organ- groups and Deep South. Communities and families and schools and high schools and so the human rights campaign and gender and family project are two organizations that are great.
2: Thank you, thank you, Jody. Thank you so much.
1: Such Go a pleasure. Have a good
2: rest of the day. And by the way, I forgot to mention: Jody is my first friend that I knew that had COVID. I have <laughs> yes. a co- only a few.
4: We but didn't she- even talk about that.
2: Yeah, we didn't even talk about how that took you down. But
4: I mean
3: but she's I, uh, back. Clearly she's back.
4: There was a nutty moment, but you know, I was the, the third case in the state of Nevada and they didn't know what the hell was going on. They wanted to burn. They said, listen, we're going to have to burn all of your um, personal belongings. <laughs> I said, they were like, we're going into the hotel room and we have to burn everything. I said, wait, my computer, oh no. my designer clothing. Why would you have to be like, it's unsafe. We're going to have to burn everything. But you didn't it, let them. It, it took—I th- mean, it was three days of talking with the Nevada Department of Health. And what were you doing there? I was speaking at a conference for women. Uh,
2: Clearly, what what happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. Actually, you did have to stay in Vegas for longer than you
4: wanted I to. I got locked down. <laughs> I couldn't leave. They wouldn't let me on a you know a flight or anything. So I was there for
2: oh my weeks. god, oh my god. Well, I'm glad you're back, back in yeah. Brooklyn, and thank you for being with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Did I deliver? I mean, was that a good guest? How that good was is That was a great guest. Yeah. Yeah. She's so <laughs> smart, and she's so yes. good, and she just makes sense. Everything she says, I'm like, yeah, that, and, and yeah, that. She's awesome. If
3: I had kids, I would absolutely take a page from her book. Clearly, I don't, but more moms need to hear her message.
2: Yes. She's just really amazing, and I think really relatable. I mean, to any yes. parent... In any socioeconomic, gender, racial, everybody should hear what she has to say, and the way that she's processed and articulated her words, I, I just, I, I really, I just adore her.
3: Absolutely, and you know, one of the things that I thought was really interesting is what you and she both were talking about in terms of the sort of youth part of the movement right now, and how kids of parents who might. The behaving racist are actually calling their parents out. I thought that was a very interesting point in the conversation.
2: All right, guys. Thank you so much. We'll be back next week. Life is a precious gift. Life matters. Black lives matter. And those of black trans people.
3: Thanks for listening, everyone, and for being an ally. Click to rate us at Apple Podcasts and write us a quick review.
2: We'll be back next week with more about the relationships that matter most. And in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at it'sovereasy. And stay tuned for more information about my first Facebook Live on our It's Over Easy community page. Thanks for listening. Be the solution, not the problem. Stay safe. Peace.